So we are we're going to leave Colossians 1, 9 through 14, but hopefully you won't leave it forever. Hopefully you'll go back and meditate on it and pray that prayer for yourself, for your kids, for your loved ones, and that will be a prayer that becomes near and dear to your heart, I hope. Now we're going to Psalm 119, and that is just the place whenever you want to learn anything about the Word of God, because that psalmist loved the Word of God, and he did so many neat things things in communicating the Word of God, making 22 kind of acrostic things. We teachers love that, you know, taking the first letter. And I mean, it's just amazing when you study what that psalm is all about and how there's these 22 stanzas. Each of them are made up of eight verses. And they, the Hebrew alphabet, they each start with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We can't see it in English, but it's just an extraordinary thing. And all the eights in there, how there's eight different names for the word of God in that psalm. And it's just an amazing psalm. You want to spend some time in there, I know. So we're going to be looking at that. And let's ask the Lord to bless our third session. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalm 119. What an amazing psalm, all about the word of God. Just about every single verse mentions your word. And so open our eyes, Father, that we can behold the truth of your word. We know if we're going to be serious about walking worthy to please you, it has to start with our relationship with the word of God. And that's how we really dig into knowing who you are and how you want us to live. So thank you, Father, for your word. And we want to please you in every aspect. And so this is huge that we spend time just talking about your word. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So God's word. Walking worthy by ordering our steps in God's word. So really it even starts before then because you need to actually have a relationship with the Lord before you can have a relationship with his word. And I know when I first started sharing with women, and I, I say, tell people sometimes they can't believe it, but I really couldn't stand women. I didn't really like women. I mean, I loved kids. And so when it turned out that I was going to end up having this thing of sharing with women, I thought, no way, not me. I mean, unless there's like some kids in the audience, I'm not, I don't want to be about it because they're so petty and so, you know, women. But, um, <laughs> but I actually did fall in love with women. And it's good because I am one. So, you know, it makes it nice. So anyway, um, and so now that I get to um, share with women, I, I, there was, I made this rookie mistake in the very beginning of my sharing with women, and that was assuming that everybody in that room was saved and had a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I learned many, many years ago that that is not always the case. So I said it starts with the word of God, but even it starts before that, because there could be someone here today, and again, remember, it's not prophetess Marlene, it's just Marlene, you know, so I don't know, but there could be someone here who was kind of drug here and felt like this isn't church, they probably are going to have good food, a lot of, you know, fun times, I'll go. And so you could be here and in that position. So I don't want to assume that everybody here knows the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you do not know and you're like in a fog, thinking, what in the world? Please, him, why would I? Then you want to talk to somebody that looks like they know the Lord, which should be most of the ladies here. So just feel free to really have that conversation because as we, or maybe we don't think about it too often, but we really don't know if we're going to make it back home today. And I don't want to sound morbid. For Christians, that's not a bad thing, actually, if we didn't, because we know we're going to wake up in his presence. But you don't want to take that risk. So if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to find out how you can know him. And then you want to go right to his word. I don't know, some of you older girls, you might, I make reference to old, and this is why you have an old lady come. This is why it's nice to invite an old lady, because she's old, you know? And, and then you're, you're fulfilling Titus 2. You know, you get a whole package right there. There's an old lady teaching the young ladies. But one of the things that older ladies know about is the Thomas Guide. See, I know Ashley and Christian, they, oh, come on, Ashley. You do not know what it's, oh, please. Grandma taught you, didn't she? <laughs> so anyway, but we used to, you know, pre-navigation days, that's all we had was a Thomas Guide. And it's a big, for you that are looking like, huh? You could Google it, but it's like a big map that's about this many. Come on, these people that are nodding their heads. Oh, okay, it's an L.A. thing. Okay, so it's not just old, it's L.A. Okay, so anyway, but it's a thick guide, and you would have pages and pages of maps. So if you wanted to go somewhere, then you would look up the, okay. 
So anyway, I remember now, I feel like so many marriages must have been improved once the navigation system started, right? Because we would get that map out of the trunk and we would be driving along and there'd be this person that you really loved, you know, that was behind the wheel. And they would be, you would be passing the same building like a thousand times, you know, and you're sitting there um, saying to this person that you love, um, honey, I mean, no, not honey, but honey, don't you think we should stop at that gas station? Because we've sort of, you know, I mean, don't you think it'd be a good idea? No, I know where we're going, you know. So anyway, um, and, and then you, you just never got to your destination until finally the person either was able to look at that map a little more carefully or something. It happened to us recently, even with the navigation guide. And we were going to a wedding. In fact, I think Ashley knows the people. But we were going to this wedding. And um, it was in San Diego. We live in LA, so that's a couple, couple hour drive. And so we're driving along. Now this time, really, we had our navigation on. You know those things don't always work. It had us winding all up. And we heard the wedding was out. You know how it's young people now, the wedding's out there, like on a ranch or something. You know, We were <laughs> driving and winding. Do you know by the time we finally got to that wedding, they had just said I do. <laughs> they had come, I mean, it was horrible. I'm so glad my husband was doing it, officiating. You know, that would have really been a mess. But so we were right, we were in time for the, for the reception, which was good, but, but we did miss the wedding. And you can really have some, some dramatic experiences if you get confused on directions. And the Word of God, I, I mention that as we lead into establishing our footsteps in the Word of God, because many times people want to run their life, and they even want to please God, but they don't want to use the roadmap. They don't want to use the navigation system. They want to please God according to what it seems like to them would be the right thing. Well, he's a loving God, so certainly he would want me to be in this relationship. I mean, after all, he loves me, and he, he knows that this makes me happy. And so we kind of come up with our own little system of how we function in life rather than measuring everything according to his word. And that's what this fabulous psalm does. It allows us to dig into not only the benefits of God's word, but how to respond to his word, to the fact that his word is there. And then another prayer. And every session today is dealing with some kind of praying at, through Scripture. And so we can pray this prayer through Scripture that we find in Psalm 119, 129 to 136, and also knowing how to respond when God's word is not kept. So again, um, Alicia is very gracious, gave me tons of time. It's just so cool. But um, I am going to watch you, girls. You're looking good, but I'm going to watch you. <laughs> so anyway, so this psalm, I already mentioned the stanzas, 22 stanzas, um, eight verses each. You mathematicians can figure out 176 verses, or you could just look at the end of the psalm and see that. <laughs> and it's the longest psalm. Um, it also, uh, I mentioned about how it's like an acrostic and the fact that the letters start the way they do. There are eight different names for the word of God in this psalm. It's either law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word, ordinances. And it just, every verse, pretty much except for five, directly mentions the word of God. So 171 of the verses. It's fascinating. You, you just could spend your life in this psalm. But there are huge benefits of the word of God. And that's why we don't want to neglect the word of God. You may have heard one of these. There's lots of these little examples of a diary of the Bible, if the Bible could speak. And this is one that I'm going to share with you. January 15th, this is what the Bible is saying. I've been resting quietly for a week. The first few nights after New Year's Day, my owner read me regularly. But now, I guess I've been forgotten. February 24th, I got out to Sunday school today. My owner used me for family devotions. April 10th, I was dusted today and put on the center table in the living room. Special company's coming. I think the pastor. But now I'm back on the shelf again. May 12th. Busy day. My owner had to lead a lesson at church, had quite a time finding me, and then hunted and hunted to find the text that he needed. June 5th, I'm in Grandma's lap. She's here on a visit. She let a tear fall on Colossians 2, 5 through 7, when Paul praised the believers for living in Jesus. June 9th, in Grandma's lap again. I've been here every single day. It's such a comfort to be appreciated and loved. June 10th, Grandma's gone. 
and I'm back in the same place. She kissed me before she left. July 4th, had a couple of four-leaf clovers stuck in me today. August 1st, packed in a suitcase with clothes, off to vacation, I guess. August 7th, still in the suitcase. August 15th, home again, on the shelf, not sure why they took me along. October 12th, October 18th, pastor's visiting again today, so I was put on the center table in the living room. November 10th, was brought to church today and held up to be counted. December 16th, dusted off today, but not opened. Wish grandma would come back and visit. December 31st, today I was used at the dinner table. Each member of the family was blindfolded and told to put their finger on a good luck verse for the new year. Everyone was quiet when my owner's finger landed on Hosea 4.6, which reads, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from, from being my priests. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And that's 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And I know that this is not the diary of your Bible. I have another one. No, I'm not going to take time to read it. But there's lots of those. You can Google these diaries of, the, of your Bible and you can read. And it's really not funny, but it is, but it's tragic. Because if our Bible could speak, what would it say? How often do we open it? How often do we take it seriously and obey it? And how often do we just read it and bring it to church, almost like decoration, but not really have it impact our life? Well, this psalm, I'm going to read it in its entirety and then just make a few comments on the various sections and verses. But we should be able to see the principles laid out in our outline in this psalm. So let's look at it. It's Psalm 119, 129 to 136. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. Establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statues. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. So what are some of the benefits of God's word that we see in this psalm? Well, we're going to consider three benefits. There's hundreds of thousands of benefits, as we Christians know, for ordering our steps in the word of God. There are so many um, things that contribute to why the Word of God is so wonderful. But there's three that we want to highlight here. The first one is, it's wonderful. The second one, it's light. And the third one, it's understanding. Your testimonies are wonderful. Many good things from our past are disappearing in today's modern, post-modern um, society. And one of them is wonder. Some of us grew up with Alice in Wonderland. Some of us remember the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. There were things that were actually wonderful. But technology has made it where we just think nothing's wonderful. We're not impressed with anything. If your computer doesn't start in a millisecond, you know, when you boot up, we used to call it, you, you are just about fit to be tied. I mean, you can't believe you have to wait two minutes to get that old thing going. And it tells you that you need a new one. And we just are not impressed with much. We can do anything, even create human beings, it seems. Television, etc. Just not impressed. But God's word is wonderful. And we need to do what the Gettys did. What will we do without the Gettys, you know, with all these wonderful hymns? I don't know if you've ever heard their hymn, Don't Let Me Lose My Wonder. But that is a prayer that you want to pray to the Lord. Don't let me feel like it's just, you know, another day in the word of God. I mean, we should be able to recognize the fact that this is, I mean, this book is magnificent. And it is wonderful. And when they wrote that song, Kristen said these words. We often like to finish an event, she says, her and her husband, with a song. And it provides a devotional moment for people to reflect. And she said, it's easy to be forgetful or cease to wonder at all that God has done. 
And that's why they wrote the song. She said, this was a song of prayer so that that won't happen. She said, we do not pursue wonder as an end in itself, but as something that leads us to praise him with full hearts. The song begins by looking at creation, the greatness of the changing lights of day and night. And that's a wonderful place to, to think about the wonder of God and his word. The song um, then goes into the intricate detail of a web shimmering with the modern dew and the complexity of human mind making sense of it all around. And that's a wonder. Just even just the, the vessels in your body, we just take it for granted. Everything about us, and, it's, and, and yet it's just magnificent. Verse 2 looks a little closer at the wonder of people, and it goes on through the final verse which settles on a baby and his cry in the darkness, and that through... Uh, that he would be the one that would help us out of our confusion, out of our despair, out of our crookedness. He lifts us from shaky ground, says Christian, and sets us on a rock where the coldness we once knew is swept away in the light of his grace. This is the greatest wonder of all. And so God's word is wonderful. We see verses like um, Psalm 119, verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Do you ever pray that? Lord, let me see the wonder of your law. Exodus 15, 11. Who is like you among the, among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Psalm 77, 11. I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders. You are a God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the people. Um, Psalm 77, 14. Everything about God's word is wonderful. Now, I have a relationship, of course, with God's word, but I also have a relationship with something else that helps me understand the wonder of this, and that is, for me, food. Food is wonderful for me. I don't know what you feel about food, but let me tell you, I don't really have any downsides to food. I love the way it looks. I like fresh fruit, and you know, I like looking at it. I like the colors. I love, um, I just, I, I love the smell, the aroma of chocolate chip cookies baking in the oven, of somebody making popcorn. With, you know, I mean, I just love food. I love everything about it. I love the way it smells. I love the way it tastes. I love the feeling of it sliding down my throat. I, I love the satisfaction of that full tummy. Then you can curl up for a good nap. I mean, it's just good. There are a couple things about food. Like when I overeat, there are some issues that could be connected with that that you may not care to hear about. But there are some, I guess, a couple of downsides, but not a whole lot. To me, food is wonderful. And I should feel so much more so about the word of God. I love to teach on Psalm 63, and there's a verse in there, verse 5, where he talks about food and how the marrow, how your word is wonderful in comparison to food and I'm like that is my verse for me but God's word is wonderful and I don't want to lose that wonder and I'm just prayerful that as we are challenged at this conference that we will pray for the wonder of God's word to be in our hearts that we will sing songs like sing them over again to me wonderful words of life let me more of their beauty see wonderful words of life Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. And of course, that is God's word. Well, in addition to the wonder of it all, God's word gives light. And as you get older, I, I like to often try to find some old folk um, things that to help. You may say, she's obsessed with old age. I don't know, I'm just in it. You know, I'm in that stage. So you go to pull up your socks, and then you realize you aren't wearing any. This is something that, think about that for a minute. Okay, you're sleepy. Let's, let's try another one. It takes twice as long to look half as good. That's true, okay. You hear snap, crackle, and pop. You're not eating cereal, okay. You're starting to wake up. Now this is so true for me. All of your toys are in the museum. This is sad, <laughs> but true. So there are things that happen when you get older, and in addition to those kinds of things happening, another thing is you need a lot of light. Like my husband and I, we try to go to those romantic restaurants where you can't see the, you can't see the, you know, the menu. And so I, I actually, I mean, I have a little flashlight. Of course, we all do on our phone. And you just try to be discreet, you know, while you're trying to read it because the candle's just not doing it anymore. And then I, I actually went to one where you open the menu. Have you ever been to one where the light, there's a light in the menu? Now, you know, you're high tech. I mean, this is a nice, 
fine establishment when you open it and there it is, the menu lights up, okay, so that's good. So light is important, but light is really important when it comes to God's word because God's word gives us light. We don't have to make decisions in the dark anymore, girls, because God's word gives us the light that we need. And in this verse, it means literally that a door is opening. The meaning may be that when the word opens like a door, the light of the Lord floods through. And part of the supernatural quality of the word is that just as a student has to open a book before he can read it, God's word must unfold itself to us so that we can understand it. And so God's word is light. And that is so um, needy for a dark world. I can remember I had a little situation that I promised I wasn't going to um, mention again, and I'm not. I told, um, I told my dear new friend, uh, Alicia, I'm not going to share what happened this morning, but I will share something at a, at a retreat a number of years ago that happened. This was just the most horrible thing. We were all, it was one of those retreats way up like in a, in a mountain type setting. You've been on those, you know, where you're really sleeping bags. I mean, you're really roughing it. There's not much light and stuff. You can see the light coming in in the morning. And wouldn't you know that the lights went out in our cabin? I normally get up like about six or something that morning of a retreat and we were going to meet at eight. It was dark. All the lights were out in everybody's cabin. Now think about what that means for a woman over 50. You know, to have no lights in the morning. It was not pretty. We all ended up in the, in the hall. They had a generator where we were meeting. And I mean, we looked at each other. Some people had a blue sock, a brown sock. I mean, some people had half of it on and half of it off. It was pitiful. I mean, and it was really bad because then I was, you know, the one like, and I was like, oh, it was talk about pride and humility and whew. It, it, the light makes a difference. You, when you see yourself, like in James, when you see what you look like in that mirror, you say, Lord, we got to go to work. You know, I mean, whatever we can do in 10 minutes, let's do it. But it's, it's a reality check, you know, when you, and when you haven't been able to visit the mirror, it's rough. And sometimes we make decisions like that. We don't turn on the light of God's word. In that case, the lights went out. The electricity went out at that place. So we didn't have a choice. But with God's word, we have a choice. We can decide, am I going to let God's word shine on that situation with my tongue? Or am I going to ignore it? Am I going to pretend that the electricity is out and I can't see what God's word is telling me? So light of God's word is huge. Also, it's really huge when it comes to our fears. Because we can be so afraid. Just like I was paralyzed by people pleasing, you can also be paralyzed by fear. Things that you are so afraid of. And most of those things, you know, are never going to happen. Or you're, you know, you're just afraid of the what ifs and the if onlys and all of that stuff. But it's not really reality. But we can be absorbed by those fears. And as a child, I was one of those that did not like looking at stuff in the dark in my bedroom. There could be a bathrobe hanging up and it looked like this gigantic monster. And I was in my bed terrified because there's this monster like, you know, hovering over my bed. And then my mom would turn on the light and I'm like, oh, that's just my old bathrobe. <laughs> and that's what happens to us. We don't turn on the light of God's word. And so there's all these things that make us crazy. But if we would turn on the light of his word and read what he's saying about us and how we should handle these things, like we're so afraid of getting old. We're so afraid of of having some terrible disease. We're so afraid that what if, you know, I lose my job. I'm so afraid that, just afraid, just living in fear and not knowing that he's telling us, cast all your cares upon me in 1 Peter 5, 7. But we rather clutch them. But if we don't um, immerse ourselves in the truth of his word, we let our mind tell us crazy, crazy things. And what is just a simple bathrobe is a nightmare for you. And you can be going through life scared to death of something that you don't have to be scared to death of because the Lord has that. And so I just encourage any lady out there today that's struggling with what if, and maybe it's close to happening. Like, you know, you've already gotten the pink slip, so it is sort of going to happen that you're not going to be employed anymore. And you're thinking, what does that mean for me for the next step? It means that you have your hand in God's hand. It means that you trust him and that you're willing to lay your life in his hands and rest in him and you're willing to let him take care of the situation so god's word 
gives light. It gives understanding. We talked about understanding already in the Colossians passage. God's word helps us to be able to put the pieces together in our life. And in this verse, the understanding, the simple-minded person is not so much somebody who's like slow in thinking, but it's someone who is humble and has an openness to God's instruction. So your testimonies are wonderful. I skipped the part about observing them because we're going to go back to that. The unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So it's not so much meaning stupid, you know, simple. Sometimes we put that together. But what it really means here is one who is willing to be guided by God's principles. One who is open to the word of God. So even if we did refer to someone simple-minded or a fool, God's word, of course, gives understanding to a fool. And speaking of fools, that's one of the studies that I just can't wait to do. I've been longing to do a study on fools. There's just so much the Bible says about fools and acting like a fool. And I think that would be a fascinating study. So I want to do that. So light is important. God's word gives understanding. And we don't want to walk around in the dark as if we don't have the light. We want to live our life according to God's word. Ephesians 5, 7 and following reminds us of what it used to be like before we had the light. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. So we're faced with it again. When we have the light, we want to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, and we don't want to participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead we want to even expose them for what it is because of God's word. All things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, awake, sleeper. So if you're dozing off, you can just take that for what it's worth. And arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And the Lord gave me just a marvelous um, illustration of light. And that's, and, and, and it all goes hand in hand with understanding. One time my husband was doing a, um, a retreat for some young adults at another church, and I was with him, and I have this kind of um, little ritual sort of or just a pleasure and privilege of praying with my daughter if I'm not where she is when right before she runs so we just have this race pre-race prayer time and so she was going to be running in Germany that particular um, weekend and I wasn't with her and so she had said mom I'm not going to call you dad's doing that retreat and you know that'll probably be like three in the morning well I said oh of course you'll call me you know I'm up anyway just call me because I want to so she calls me and somehow I think I'm at home because I'm in a dead sleep. And so my bed at home was really low. The bed in this hotel was really high. And so I'm reaching for the phone thinking I'm at home in bed. And I, so I flip out of bed and I flip completely so that my spinal, I don't realize this when I'm waking up flipping, but it was my spinal column was affected by this fall. And I, so I get up and I mean, my husband, we're groping around, literally, it's one of those, you know when you shut the dark thing in your hotel? And I mean, you can't even see the hand in front of you. That was the type of darkness that it was. And so my husband's like, where's that light? With Honey, are you okay? And he's trying to find the light. I mean, it was terrible. Get the light. And then I'm, I keep zoning out. And he actually had to call 911. We had to get the, the, they had to put me on that stretcher with the, you know, the wood thing. Well, who said they're a nurse? She knew, oh, you're a nurse too, Carol? Oh, I didn't know that. We'll have to talk if I have any ailments on the way home. But, <laughs> but anyway, somebody was telling, who, that was one of my new friends. Where is she? Oh, yeah, but I met someone that knew exactly my sister's condition because she said, I knew it was OG. Oh, okay, there she is. <laughs> so anyway, um, so yeah. So they had to put me on that. I'm in the hot, there I am in emergency and just zoning out and in and out. And so I said, the doctor said, so what happened? So I'm telling him, and I said, I think my fingers, because all of my fingers just felt like they were, like somebody had sliced them with a knife. I couldn't believe it. You know, the pain, it was just horrible. And so I said, I think I fell on my hands. He said, no, that's your spinal. That's your spinal cord. I'm like, what? You know, so immediately you think of, Right? You think of all these people that you know, have those kind of conditions, like, like um, 
what was the, 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 the actor? Well, yeah, you think of Johnny, Erickson Tata, of course. And then you think of the other one. What was his name? See how good you guys are. You don't have to know anything. You can just, yeah, Christopher Reeves. And, um, and I lay there and thought, this is going to be me, you know? And anyway, it did turn out that I had to have this major surgery. I've got, you don't want to know that I have cadaver bone and a metal plate. And, you know, they had to spinal. It, it's a whole big thing. But all of it, it really the good part was that they said I had cervical stenosis before this happened. And so really the accident caused them to see that I was in trouble. And so had we not had the surgery, they had said that for sure I probably would have been paralyzed and, you know, one of those kind of situations. Why am I sharing all of this? Not so that to have a pity party because God is good and, you know. But the reason why I'm sharing it is because you can have some devastating results because you're doing things in the dark. And I mean, for me, it was just my human body, but it can be your soul and you can be messed up because of not using the light of God's word. I can't emphasize enough how important it is to turn that light switch on for every area of your life. You don't want to have certain rooms of your spiritual life that you won't let the Lord in and because you just you cling to that particular sin and you don't want his light. There's some things that we don't really care for his light to turn on. We know he has it. We know his word speaks to it, but we're not interested. And so I would just say to you, ask him to take that out, root that out of your heart so that every single aspect of your life, even the hard stuff that you want to hold on to, you'll let him shine his light and illuminate through his word what he would have you do. That leads us to the second point which is to respond to the truth of God's word. When you know that something is wonderful, you respond to it. When somebody does something fabulous for you, you respond. When somebody's kind to you, you respond. When you read the truth of God's word and you find out it's wonderful, it's amazing, it's life-changing, then you respond to it. You don't just find out that stuff on Sunday about his word, and then the rest of the week you've got that diary of the Bible going on. You just kind of open it, but hey, you know, you read it when you've got one foot in bed, you know, and the other foot, and the light, night light is on, and you're trying to, woo, yeah, I read my verse for the day, as you're falling in bed. And some people try to study their Bible when they're at their least high point, you know, their weakest, most tired moment. And so, what does your soul do after knowing that the Lord is wonderful? Well, going back to verse 1, therefore, because your testimonies are wonderful, this is my response, my soul observes them. So because it's so wonderful, I can't wait to obey it because I know that your word is all that I need. Have you ever had your, your child say, Mommy, I love you? It's so tender and sweet, isn't it? When they look in your eyes and say, I love you, Mommy, especially the first time. And you're like, oh, you do. And then they go and do the naughtiest thing something you can, unimaginable, seconds after they said they love you. And you're like, what? And that's how it is. We tell the Lord we love him, but does our life demonstrate that we love him? You would prefer that your child is obedient, wouldn't you, to just saying, I love you. It's nice and it feels good, but you would much prefer that they would do as you say. For my kids, we had a whacker. I had this whacker in my, I should have probably brought it for you young mothers. I can, you know, I think it's like in the black market or something. I don't know if you can, but it is, my son is so fair. It, it's, just, I mean, when you would snap him, you know, with other things, there would be a redness that we all don't want to be there. But the whacker girls, you can snap and whack nothing. There's like nothing except pain. That's all there is, is pain. And it was just so wonderful to have that whacker and to be able to even just in my purse, just kind of, you know, we'd be in the market and I'd, I mean, I have to confess, my son's 35 years old. This is a true story. It's so sad. It's so sad, but so true. And if he were here to be interviewed, he would say, it happened. We were in the car not long ago. I found the whacker because we just recently moved and, you know, a few years ago, a couple years ago, and I found the whacker. And I just, you know, I was just kind of playing with him, you know. I mean, he's my big kid. So I just kind of pulled it out and said, remember this, Wes? <laughs> he, like, he like bristled. <laughs> it was so cool. It was like automatic. He's like, I said, it's okay, Wes. You know, you're 35. <laughs> it was so funny. But the whacker does these things to you, you know. And so, 
So that, you want to whack that stuff out of these kids, you know, if you can. But, uh, but the, why did I mention the whacker? Why, why, why these stories, you know? But it's because we don't want the Lord to have to pull that whacker out. You know, he'll get you together. He will humble you and bring you to your knees. And so we want to be able to not just say, I love you, Lord, and we can do it eloquently, but we want him to be able to look at our life and see that we are striving to please him in all respects, which brings us back to my life first, that we would please him in all respects. Um, James 1.22 is the classic on this, but prove yourself doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Uh, another response is to thirst for God's word. We see that in verse 131. Um, it gives understanding to the simple. And then we see this fabulous verse. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Wow. As the deer pants for the water brook, is that your attitude about the word of God? So it's not just observing it and doing it, but it's wanting to do it. It's having a desire to do it. And Psalm 63, I reference that again because that's another psalm that talks about thirsting for God's word. And, and it's just, I mean, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. If you don't have that longing, there used to be a song, I lost that loving feeling. If, if that's you, you lost that loving feeling for God's word, ask him to ignite in you a fire of enthusiasm for his word so that you thirst for it. So that it's just like you're craving, I gotta have God's word. It, I can't get through the day without God's word. My husband often says, if there, if there was no Christ, if you woke up tomorrow and there was no Christ and there was no, um, it was all just a big lie, but don't worry, you're not going to wake up tomorrow. If you wake up, I mean, we'll wake up in his presence. He's real, he's true, but he just likes to give this example that if that happened, would, you, would your day be exactly the same? Like if they took your Bible from you and they said, everybody's been lying to you all these years, there's no God, there's no Christ. If you woke up that Monday morning after they told you that, and it was really true, how would your life be different? Like he, he, wanted, he was trying to get us to think through, would it be the same? Well, I don't have a quiet time now, so no difference. I never read my Bible now, so. If he, but if you're like the Apostle Paul, Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, then if there were no Christ, you would have no life. Your whole life would just be nothing. And you couldn't function. You wouldn't be able to make it through the morning before work if there were no Christ. And that's the attitude we should have about his word, where we need it so bad that we, don't, we can't even think of a day without God's word. And if you can think, well, I can get through a whole day without spending any time in God's word or prayer, something's wrong with that picture. If we can even make it through an hour without thinking about the Lord and his goodness and his grace, something's wrong. So we want to pray and ask him to ignite that fire within us so that we are thirsting and craving for his word. And I know that, I'm sure Ashley will remember me talking about that desert. Yeah. We went to the Holy Land. This is my best example of thirsting. And we were in the Holy Land, my husband and I, and, and there was just our... Dr. Grisanti from the Master Seminary leads this trip, and you go, and you know, he likes to take you to all the nooks and crannies, not just the, the shrines and things that non-believers build you know, to, for the Holy Land trips, but he would take you to the real crevices, because he's an Old Testament scholar, so he would like take you all up everywhere. So you, when Jericho, I mean, for him, you're all up. So anyway, you're far from civilization with Dr. Grisanti. Grisanti. So anyway, this was my husband and I, and this is where I learned what thirsting for God's word was. So my husband and I have one bottle of water between us at the end. You take about six or eight bottles, but you're with Dr. Grisanti, so you're going to drink all of them. And that's the other thing. If you go to the Holy Lands like in May, you're looking at maybe 96 degrees, or, but it felt, feels like 200 degrees. It was so hot. Wonderful trip, but it was just so hot. Okay, i got to get to the point because we have a lot of stuff to get to. So there's this bottle of water. We drink it. We both drink it. And then the bottle of water is just about gone. And so there's about this much left. And I'm looking at my husband, and I want to do the loving thing and, like, offer it to him. But I'm like, I want that water so bad. You don't know what you'll do when you're in a case like this. So anyway, but I did it. I said, honey, and he said, what, what, what? And I'm like, um, honey, do you want the rest of the water? 
But I, he heard me, but I mean, it was very soft, even for me with my loud voice. And he said, oh, no, hon, you take it. This is so hot. And I grabbed that water so quick, girls. <laughs> I did not want that man to change his mind. <laughs> I grabbed it, and I mean, I gulped down those last couple of drops. And as I stood there drinking it, I felt kind of ashamed because I thought, this is the way I should feel about God's word. That's what it means to just thirst, where you just give anything almost to get that drop of water. And I said, Lord, would you help me to have a craving for your word? Help me to long for your word like that? Because many of us have the attitude that we could take it or leave it. And we act like, you know, we have Bibles in every room and, and we just open it when we want. And so God wants us to pant after his word and long for his word. Well, let's briefly look at those seven requests that the psalmist makes and just make a comment about each one of those. And maybe you want to kind of bring your shoulders up and punch it out a little and move it around so that, okay, we're rounding things up. All right. So seven requests that are here in the psalm, and they're all wonderful. The first one is that God would turn to us. It's a typical way that God does towards those who love his name. And so the idea is that if I'm a lover of his name, I love his character, and I love who he is, so that should be each one of us. And we want God, in accordance to his promise, to love and see those that are calling his name. And so this description indicates how true and close our communion with God is. And so here we see that we are asking the Lord to protect us, to have favor on us, to be our shield. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 20, verse 7. Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name will put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So we want God to turn to us and to be gracious to us. And certainly in verse 132, we see the second part, for him to be gracious to us. And we know that he has given us so much grace. I mean, on Calvary he did. But just think about getting you through the day. It's by his grace and his goodness. And you may be smack dab in the middle of a trial right now, ladies, but just remember, as the hymn writer said, he giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. Do you believe that? That is so true. I know Pat believes that. She, oh, look at her rocking that baby. How precious. She, I'm not going to tell her business, but she was just sharing with me over the last one month what the Lord has brought in or allowed to come into her life. And I know that she would raise her hand in testimony and say she can't because she has the baby and she doesn't want to drop the baby. But she would say, he sendeth more strength when the labors increase to added afflictions, he addeth his mercy left. We have a darling mercy that was here. Her name is so precious. But he add, to added afflictions, he addeth his mercy to multiply trials, his multiplied peace. And if you don't know this song, you should look it up because the second verse reminds us that when we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision, our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing the Father both thee and thy load will upbear. Do you believe he's going to give you enough grace to get through what you're in right now? Because I don't have to be a prophetess to know that you either just came out of a trial, you're in the middle of one, or you're about to head into one. Because that's life 101, right? trials. And so you need to remember that his love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's the God we serve. That's the God we love. And he will shower his grace upon you. And so that should encourage you as we talk about walking to please him, talked about Colossians, we're talking about how wonderful his word is, we have to remember that his grace is really sufficient. 
And you might be forgetting that right now. You might be having a little brain freeze because you might be thinking, you're not going to give me enough grace for this, Lord. I can't handle it. But it's like the manna in the morning. He gives you enough for that day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about next week. He's getting you through right now by his grace and goodness. And Satan would have us be anxious because of that fear. We don't want to turn that light on and really understand the kind of God that we serve and the kind of love that he has for us. And yet it's true. He giveth more grace. Wow, one of my favorite hymns. So we also pray that he would order our footsteps in his word. That's in verse 133. That is just the highlight to me of this psalm. Establish my footsteps in your word. And so that is our prayer. It's directed towards God, not himself. Our desire is that we will not be our own master. We want him to order our steps. So what he brings in your life might not be what you want in your life, but it's what he has called you to. Did I want to go through my mom having Alzheimer's? Did I want her to look at her spoiled number six child, her last child, and I'm helping her in bed, and she's asking, now what did you say your name is? Did I want that? Of course I didn't want that. But that was part of the journey that God has called out for me to walk and for my dad to walk. That's part of what was part of what he had. And so I have to recognize that what he brings in, he's going to get me through it. If he brought me to it, he's going to get me. If he allowed it, he's going to get me through it. And so I just want to encourage you with that because so often we don't like the ordered footsteps that he has for us. We would rather do our own. My husband was a Greek professor for almost 20 years. And he always said the guys would want to maybe make up their own syllabus. They want to make up their own curriculum. But he was a professor. He had to do the curriculum. He had to set it out. God is the head of our life. He's our Lord and Savior. He knows what's best. So when he orders our footsteps through a path, we can hold our head up and know, no matter what that path includes. For my mother-in-law, it meant that she would be 42 years old. I mentioned that last night. And her husband that loved the word of God, that taught the word of God, that preached it, that went through all kinds of things I shared with you last night to even learn it on the level that he did, that she, he would just take him with a massive stroke at 45 and she would be left with four kids from eight years old to 19. But God's grace was sufficient. That was the path for my mother-in-law. And he brought her through that with shining colors. She was a testimony to God's goodness and God's grace. So whatever he's carved out for you, just know that you can trust him. Even with the way you look. You may be, like I said, struggling with your nose and your, my feet and my eyes. You know, whatever we do when we're tripping, as I said. Uh, we got to remember that he's the one that designed this. And it reminds me of something I haven't shared in a long time, I think in a few years, but I'm going to share it now because I'm going to let you, you're grown and you can read and you have your outline. And so I'm just going to share it because I just feel like I had it here just in case. And it's teacup theology. And I love it because um, it, it points out us accepting what, how God has created us. And she uh, uses, um, this is from Calm My Anxious Heart, one of Lisa Dillow's really old books. She's taken a turn in a couple directions, but I mean, this is a really old, great book. And, um, and she says, let's go back to our teacup theology. God has lovingly assigned each of us to be a uniquely special teacup. Perhaps we're an antique cup painted with dainty roses set in gold, what I always wanted to be. One of those little people that says, good morning, girls and boys. Sit down here and let's, you know, I went up in the stand, no, tall and loud, you know, but okay. So anyway, he, so you might be a teacup, you might be um, an everyday cup, I would say that's me, a little useful, but chipped around the edges, or you might be a heavy duty mug, that's my sister bun, for sure, rugged, unbreakable, and able to hold much. When I shared this illustration one year, she said, um, wow, that, you know, I can't believe, I, I guess I, I'm grateful for the cup. I'm grateful that he trusted me with this cup, with her body in that wheelchair, with all that she has. She said, he gave me this cup, so this is what he had for me. Then God fills our cup with our portion. It's what he determines best. Our portion is our physical and emotional being, our abilities, our circumstances, our roles and relationships. Sometimes we don't like what's being poured in that cup. Sometimes we don't like the steps he's ordered for us. 
Remember the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember what he said. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Christ grasped the handle of his cup. He lifted it to God and he said, I accept my portion. Infuse me with your strength that I may drink. Every cup, whether dainty china or rough-hewn pottery, has a handle. God has placed our portion in our cup. We either choose to grasp it by the handle and lift it to him saying, I accept my portion, I accept this cup, or we choose to smash our cup to pieces saying, God, I refuse this cup, I refuse this portion, I don't like the size of the cup, it's not right for me, I don't like what you put in my cup, I want to control my life myself. And God forbid that that's our reaction to the cup that he's given us. If he has filled your cup with certain things right now, ladies, maybe it's an elderly parent that's going through Alzheimer's and you're the primary caregiver. Maybe it's a child who has some sort of physical challenge and you're the primary one dealing with her. Maybe it's an unsaved husband. You didn't turn on the light of God's word. He was cute. He had money, he said, I love you, and you know, you thought it was real, and then you find out he's an unbeliever, and you're living this nightmare with this man, because after all, God hates divorce, so here you are. Whatever that cup is, God knew it before eternity, that that was going to be your cup, and that this was going to be your portion, and he will infuse the strength, just like a tea bag in water, for you to endure, and even have the joy of the Lord in that cup. So I just want to encourage you with that because I know that some people are going through some heavy-duty things. And we don't want to trivialize what people are going through. But we do know that God's grace is sufficient. And so I like to share that teacup. I haven't been able to share that in a while. And she uses Psalm 16, verse 11 to come up with that little analogy that you will make known to me the path of life. Your presence is full in fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forever. She uses that and another one. Um, oh, ooh, listen to that. Wow, girls, I hadn't been watching. You know what that means. Okay. Can I turn it off? <laughs> All right. Okay, so we've got about five minutes that I'm just going to wrap up and let you look at some things on your own. She really said I could go till 12.15, but no worries, I'm not. <laughs> so anyway, um, but I want you just to look at that, the idea of him ordering our steps and knowing that he knows what's best. And so we want to walk in the path that he has carved out for us. Okay, then um, we want to look at some other prayer requests briefly that you can look at pretty much on your own. I'm skipping through. And the next is that God would protect us from sin. We don't want to be overcome by any particular one besetting temptation or sin. And so in verse, the second half of verse 133, we see, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. We don't want any sin to take over our thinking and our way of life and consume us. We don't want to have a casual attitude about sin. And so you want to do, again, a Psalm 139, let him point out things in your life, areas that are not pleasing to him, so that we can not let sin have a, a chokehold on us. When we think about um, Hebrews um, 12, verses 1 through 3, we know that it's possible for sin to get a hold of us in the sense that it becomes even a challenge daily walking with the Lord because as we hear in, in that verse, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, all of those that came before us surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And there are sins that we can covet and love and coddle that will take us out. And so we want to pray that prayer. We also want to pray the prayer that God would deliver us from men. He's praying the psalmist that he might live a quiet and peaceable life and may not be harassed and decomposed by those who are trying to hurt him. And many times we're miserable because of people and how evil they are. And so at, at work, maybe you're passed up by a promotion. Put that in the Lord's hands. You don't have to lose sleep over that. He's got that. So deliver me from that people-pleasing and feeling like I, I, my enemies are against me and so forth. And then asking the Lord in verse 135 to have favor on us. 
He identifies himself as God's servant, a title he gloried in. And he, he wanted God to just bless him and be good to him, which is what, of course, God does every day for all of us. But we can continue to pray for that, for his favor. And then that God would instruct us. And he's praying that God would instruct him in verse 36. We want to be taught. We want to be teachable. There's something so sad about not being teachable that you already know it all. And I think that's one of the dilemmas with Titus 2, um, 3 through 5 type relationships, older women and younger women, because some younger women, some older women feel like the younger women are, they're just so smart and she's got her MBA and she's got this and that. And I just don't, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I can't really talk to her. I can't. And we, sometimes younger women have a certain arrogance. I love you, younger women. But sometimes older women are intimidated and feel like I can't teach her because, you know, she's not teachable. And, and sometimes we ourselves are not teachable. We feel like we've, oh, I'm not going to sit and listen to them tell me that because I have heard that, you know. And so we have this attitude. But we want God to make us teachable. And as a younger woman, you want to be teachable. And as an older woman, you want to be teachable because there's so much that we can learn from younger women. So in that relationship of older women teaching the younger women, it's reciprocal too, though, because younger women teach older women so many things. I mean, even just how to turn your phone on. I mean, that's what. But I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not what I mean. I mean, spiritual, heavy, like really, you know, godly things. But the practical's good, too, because you can talk, call these young girls for your computer, and they will whip you up, and it's good. So anyway, um, but instruct us. We want to have a teachable spirit and a teachable heart. That's what um, Ruth had with Naomi. Even though Naomi had issues, but Ruth could still be taught by Naomi. And, and we have to, young women have to realize that too, that yes, older women have issues, but they can still teach you because God called them to teach you and he knew they would have issues. So sometimes we're like, well, I'm not going to, that woman, I just, but God can still use people even though they're human and they make mistakes. And even the older woman can teach you through her mistakes. She can say, I have made these mistakes. And you can listen to her and know that that's true. And you might be thinking, I know you have because I've been watching you. you know. So it's true. But we want to be teachable. And then finally, do we grieve over sin? And that's the last verse there. That the psalmist says, my eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. We want to grieve over the sin of ourselves and over the sin of others. My goodness, sometimes it just seems like people are not saddened anymore when they hear about the fall of a pastor or the fall of an individual, it's more like, did you believe? Instead of going silently somewhere and crying out in sorrow to the Lord over this person's fall, not sensationalizing it and calling up everybody, but grieving because the heart of God is broken and so our heart should be broken. What a psalm, ladies. It is amazing, incredible. I just kind of highlighted a couple things in it, and you see the words there. You can go back and study it. All of Psalm 119 is just amazing, and those are just eight little verses. We only really looked at probably the first three or four, and then the others just highlighted, but it is amazing what God's word will do for us. And even in um, 136, when we talk about Oh, and 135, make your face shine upon me. And that's part of that favor. So um, I'm going to trust you to look at that. And as we started out, it may be that your navigation system isn't always working or that loved one sitting next to you sometimes doesn't always respond when you mention that maybe we should turn the corner over there and not over there. But in God's word, it's important to use the roadmap. And to know that in his word, we have everything we need. His, his word is wonderful. There's the benefits of it. We can respond to it. We can pray to him, the God of the word. And then we can even grieve when people and ourselves don't keep it. We can, um, we can do what James 4, 8 and 9 reminds us. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom when people are not keeping God's word. So ladies, thank you for your attention. We're going to close in prayer. And I just, I'm so delighted that I get this opportunity to share with you. And we have one more time after lunch. 
That's the toughie, because you're going to really be sleepy, but we're going to see what God does. Lord, thank you for your word, and may we never minimize the role that your word should have in our lives. May we never lose the wonder of your word. May we always observe what it says, Father. May we take advantage of the light that it sheds in our lives so that we don't have to grope around in the darkness. Help us to be grateful for the understanding that it provides, Lord. Cause us to open our mouths wide to proclaim your greatness and the power of your word. Help us, Father, to long for your word, to crave your word, and then be gracious to us. Help us to be lovers of your name, and may our footsteps be established in your matchless word. And as you've carved out a path for our life, may we appreciate your sovereignty rather than reject it. May you help us, Lord, with the sin in our lives that we would take it seriously. Protect us, Father, from wicked men, and then smile upon us and teach us your word. Help us to be teachable. Help us to want the instruction of your word. And help us to recognize the danger of sin and the grief that sin causes you. And may sin grieve our individual hearts as it does yours. In your precious name we pray. Amen.